Thank you, Jedediah and worship team. It's really beautiful. Thanks. Good morning. Start out this morning with a, a question, a, a moment of true confession. Honestly, answer this question. When, when things aren't going well for you consistently, like it's kind of a, a Murphy's Law dynamic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, sad. Uh, when, when there's, yeah, things are not going your way and you're struggling and you're struggling. What's your default mode? How do you respond? All right. Perhaps some of you are like me. I go a little Moses, but not in the good way. I get whiny and complainy with God. I, you know, I communicate my frustration and why isn't he doing the things he's supposed to do? Any of you relate to that at all? Some of you might get when things are not going well, you might get a little angry, yes, and upset consistently. And if things are not going well for you, then they should not be going well with anyone else who's close to you, right? Correct? Isn't that right? Some of you are there, yeah. How about the uh, kind of a, a victim mentality? Maybe some of you fall into this rut where you're kind of blamey, right? So it's not my fault. If you would just do what you're supposed, if she would, if he would do, that it's not my fault. Some of you, I'm not asking for a show of hands, all right? But I am going to ask your spouses or significant others to show, no, I'm just kidding. I want us to think about that because we are looking this morning at Daniel, we are actually going to be in Daniel chapter 9. If you've brought your Bibles, would you open up to J Daniel chapter 9? We have some Bibles located in the seats in, in front of you. And we're going to be looking really at Daniel's prayer. I don't know about you, but when I'm either whiny or complainy or angry or, or, or I'm blaming and victim, it's really hard for me to pray. Well, at least in a healthy, godly way to pray. Yes? And so, so uh, Daniel is experiencing uh, some stress, some difficulty. He's been doing that. He's going to get a vision. And it's really intriguing how he responds. And then, in fact, we're going to see in chapter 9, not only was he in times of distress and his response in that time, but also he has what I would call a moment of clarity, a moment when God kind of continues to spill out what he's doing, and his response to that moment of clarity is equally as compelling, I believe. So we are actually skipping... Uh, chapter 8. Uh, we were in chapter 7 last week, and what's happening in the book of D Daniel, kind of the narrative, is we saw way back in chapter 2 that King Nebuchadnezzar was given a vision, and Daniel is asked, well, all the wise men are saying, tell me the dream and interpret it, and Daniel is the only one to do that. And then in chapter 7 that we looked at last week, we have a chart. Let's go to that first chart, Irene, um, where 
Daniel 2 had different medals of one statue. And those different medals, head of gold and chest of silver and so forth, represent four kingdoms, right? Babylon, Babylonia, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Now, in chapter 7, Daniel has a vision of four animals, all right? A, a uh, lion, a bear, um, a leopard, and then something. I don't know why they put a, a pterodactyl on there, but it just says uh, uh, <laughs> an animal that was too terrifying to explain or, or to see, all right? Chapter 8 is the next chart with which really you kind of see. Irene, go to the next chart there, and you see the consistency. All of them are talking about kingdoms to come. Daniel is experiencing these visions in the 6th century. God is unfolding the next several hundred years of history. And so chapter 8, he focuses primarily on two of the kingdoms, Medo-Persia and Greece, but then in the midst of that, you have some of those, the chart is not as clear, but you do have some discussion about the Antichrist, who is to come. Chapter 8 develops that more. Don't forget about the revelation of the Son of Man, or the stone that comes and breaks the statue. Um, the, and who is that, of course? Jesus Christ, he comes to establish his kingdom on earth after the fourth kingdom in Rome. Okay, do we know where we're at? Chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 8, these different visions and dreams God is communicating, first to um, Nebuchadnezzar and then Daniel, and he's recording these, and we're seeing history unfold before our very eyes with, don't forget, implications to the end times. We're essentially still in this timeline. We'll talk about that more, especially next week and the weeks to come. Okay? You with me? Yeah. So we're having these crazy visions. History is being unfolded. And let's look at Daniel's response. The last verse of chapter 8, we, it says, Daniel gets this final vision here that connects, and Daniel says, I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the visions. It was beyond understanding. So Daniel is soul-shocked. He's wrecked. But notice his response after he recovers. I believe that there's a cost to us when given revelation from the Lord. And Daniel is soul shocked. He's wrecked. He's it's said he's been pale. He's felt physically ill. But what does he do? Did you notice that? He says he when he recovered, he got up and he went about the king's business. He stepped back into his life. He entered into what I would call, which we've talked about the last couple of weeks, the sacred rhythms by which he lived his life. 
his times of prayer, his times of service, his times of Bible study, his life. I was struck by that verse. There's been times when I've felt overwhelmed and in distress. Just last weekend, by the way, physically. And I've wondered if my sacred rhythms, as I do those, will eventually lead me out of distress or lead me in. As I recover my rhythms of prayer and Bible study and service, what will those rhythms lead to? Daniel, I believe, first model an example to us from end of chapter 8 to chapter 9. He models, he's a man of sacred rhythms. He's a man of prayer and he's Bible study and he's overwhelmed and yet he reclaims those rhythms in his life and it leads him to the moment of clarity which we're about to read. Okay, so Daniel enters back into those rhythms, and let's just read the first four chapters. This is several years later after chapter 8, entering into chapter 9, and it says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, the Medo-Persian kingdom had overwhelmed and taken over the Babylonian kingdom, He's serving in this. Who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures. According to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Israel would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God, and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. I want to pause there for just a moment. We're going to read his, his gorgeous prayer in, in just a moment. But I want us to note again how Daniel responds to not as much times of distress and struggle. He's kind of in that. He's in exile. He's away from Jerusalem. His life has been lived in exile from Jerusalem, from everything he knows. So really, there's a constant distress. He's in the rhythms, sacred rhythms. He's reading in Scripture. And he realizes that God had spoken, that God is about to redeem his homeland, Jerusalem and his temple. And what does he do? He's 70 years. In fact, he realizes it's about time that the Lord is going to allow the Israelites who have been spread across the world to return to Jerusalem. He's only a year or two away from the 70 years depending on how you count. And how does he respond? He responds by saying, God, awesome, thank you, I'll write it down. And it seems like you have everything in 
control. I'm going to take it easy. Perhaps he binge watches some Babylonian uh, repeat sitcoms. Perhaps, is that? Or, or maybe he catches up on the new Meadow Persia Hollywood movies that are out. Uh, actually, Daniel's in retirement age. So perhaps he's got it good. God has everything in control. Obviously, he's sovereign, right? He's providential. He gives him the time. So he's just going to take it easy and retire. I bet you the Mediterranean had some nice golf courses that he could have gone to at the moment. Seen Syria and some of the sites in Lebanon, yes? He's in his 80s. He's retirement age. God reveals to him what is he doing, what, the timing in which he's doing, and how does Daniel respond? He does not sit back. He does not retire. He presses in. This prayer that we're about to read is Daniel believing in a sovereign God and yet believing that his prayers matter. That God revealed this to Daniel, not just so that he would understand, but that Daniel would cooperate and press in with the kingdom advancement that God is doing in his midst. This prayer is Daniel pressing in to the kingdom work of the Lord even at retirement age. So let's lead, let's read what many believe is one of the most beautiful prayers. If you would like to just close your eyes and imagine Daniel praying, not if you'll fall asleep. If you'll fall asleep, then read along with me. But if you want to, just close your eyes and take in this prayer. Imagine Daniel getting this revelation, this moment of clarity. And so he prays. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all of Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us because of your unfaithful because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame. Lord, because we have sinned against you, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. 
did not obey the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through the servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. Yet, we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all of your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and our iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake. My God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Amen. Amen. Gorgeous prayer. Beautiful prayer. Remember, Daniel knows it's revealed to Daniel what God is doing, and yet he laments, he confesses, he seeks God, he joins with him in the work of the nation and his life. Can we look briefly, real quickly, at, at the scriptures that perhaps Daniel 
was mindful of. Daniel was certainly a man of prayer that we've seen, but he was also a man of scriptures. And probably what he was referring to, he was probably reading the prophet Jeremiah and came across Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12 that says, the whole country, this is Jeremiah speaking hundreds of years prior to Daniel's time, it says, this whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. Daniel was doing a little bit of calculation, it is assumed here, that when Babylon captured um, Israel or Jerusalem, um, it, was probably, it was 605 B.C., all right? Chapter 9, he's praying around 539 or 538 B.C., so Daniel makes this discovery, the, the new king, the, the Medo-Persian king, the, the second kingdom that conquered, it was going to be a year to two years after Daniel praised this prayer that the, the king would declare it okay for the Israelites to return to Jerusalem. Daniel is just on the cusp of history. Probably a teenager, young teenager, when he was taken from Jerusalem. He's lived almost the complete 70 years. He sees it and he prays. He, he recognizes the revelation. He believes God's word and he presses in. I have to say this strikes me so very personally in part because when I was uh, serving as an ordained pastor, the role of discipleship in evangelism, of course, I had read the scriptures many times, especially the Gospels, and I was reading and I was doing my rhythms of faith, but then I approached the scriptures with a question of what is this kingdom of God business. And as I read the scriptures, for one, I felt so humble and somewhat dull, to be honest with you, because it was all over the pages of scripture. It was filled with Jesus' mouth. He was talking about kingdom, 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 and this was fresh revelation. I was going what, what is going, how could have I missed that this was Jesus' central idea? How could I miss that to understand the church, we need to understand the kingdom of God, to understand the, the work of the church, the role of the spirit, our lives today, we need to begin with the core of Jesus' message, which is the kingdom of God. And I said, this changes everything. Many of us in this community of faith are growing in listening prayer, which is wonderful. 
encourage that. I bless that. I think listening prayer is just a, a beautiful gift. God is speaking, and he, he's continuing to speak. But I want to suggest that per, perhaps the central place that God is speaking is fresh revelation through what he's already said. Yes? That a hunger for God's voice and fresh revelation should drive us to the pages of Scripture. That, that the pages of Scripture are somewhat un under attack in our culture, yes? Are somewhat under attack in our churches and denominations. And we need to approach the pages of Scripture as the revelation of God, of God sharing his heart, engaging with the people. And that's the history we're reading. And yet, at the same time, we approach the pages of Scripture from a place of fresh revelation. He's giving insight and conviction and understanding to what he's doing, not just in the 6th century, not just in the time of Daniel, but right here and today. That Daniel was approaching the pages of Scripture from this perspective, and we should learn from him. The other thing that he does is he not only is reading Scripture and meditating on Scripture, trusting that God is speaking through the pages of Scripture, but also he believes Scripture. He believes and understands his life, even world history, through the lens of the pages of Scripture. He understands his own uh, life, the fact that he was removed from Jerusalem, he understands that through the lens of Scripture. He understands the mighty kingdom of Babylon and now Medo-Persia. He understands that through the lens of Scripture. Listen to this from Moses. He mentions Moses in the covenant promises and the covenant curses. There's a key moment when Moses shares the covenant, and then this is what he says, so powerful. I wonder if Daniel reflected on this. This is from Deuteronomy 30, 19. Moses said, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Had the Israelites chosen life? They had not. They chose death. And God did exactly what he said he would do if they chose death. Daniel pressed in and understood even his own exile and the exile of his people. That's what allows him to pray such a gorgeous prayer full of insight 
and understanding and perspective. Okay, so that's Daniel as a man of scripture, but let's look at Daniel as a man of prayer. It says this, um, the, there's, I, I would say there's three primary aspects about this prayer that though they are rooted in the Old Testament in the time of Daniel, these aspects are meant to be vital parts of our prayer life today. In fact, it's always good to ask, why is this chapter in the pages of scriptures? Right? Why did God preserve this? We've got the kingdoms, we've got the history flowing out. Why chapter 9? I think a big reason is that this prayer would be a model prayer, that our prayer lives would grow and be transformed because of Daniel's prayer here. Three primary aspects of this prayer were, real briefly, adoration, confession, and supplication. Say that with me. Adoration, confession, supplication. All right, let's talk about these briefly, real quickly. Worship or adoration. Some beautiful Daniel remembers essentially who God is, who he has revealed his character to be. I want to suggest, friends, that prayers of adoration and worship is the absolute best way to begin each and every day. That's how Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. It's to begin with the recognition that God is on his throne. To begin with the recognition that he is in control, that he is providential, that he is at work and wants to use us. Friends, I would say that this is the core of covenant living. Maybe you've seen the prayer. I have it in my office or a form of this. Hello, this is God. I will be handling all your problems today. Have a nice day. Right? It's setting God as the director and the guidance of your day. Friends, I think that's covenant living, new covenant living, as we get to live connected to the Lord. Listen to Jesus in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. A beautiful word picture. Irene, I think we have it on the screens there. John 15, 5. A beautiful word picture. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. It's almost like Jesus says the key to fruitful living is abiding in Christ. Or, well, actually, he does say that. Yes, that, that's the essence. That's the key. That's the foundation that we're abiding in him. And if we really recognize who we're abiding in, well, then adoration and worship, right? That's the beginning place. Listen, I want to interrupt the sermon for just a moment. I rarely do this. I don't like interrupting my sermon. 
but I want us to pray prayers of adoration for just a moment. Can we do that? I'm going to lead you. I, I'm a, I like to be an equal opportunity Trinitarian worshiper. If you didn't follow that, you will shortly. Okay, close your eyes. Would you lift your thoughts to the Father? And would you think about who he is? I'm just going to pray a few prayers. Father, I bless you. I love you. Thank you that even though you're great and awesome and eternal, that you are Abba Father calling to us. Thank you for your goodness continues to flow. Take a moment just between you and the Father. Bless him, thank him for who he is towards you. Just between you and him and the Father. Can we turn our attention Jesus, God the Father, seated right now in this moment, the center of the throne, Jesus at the center of the throne at his right hand. I'm just going to pray a few prayers to Jesus. Just praise you that you are the lamb without blemish, the lamb slain for me. Praise you, Jesus, that you're our good shepherd, that you correct and you guide. Thank you, Jesus, that you're my best friend. I love you, Jesus. Would you take a few moments just between you and the Lord and the Father? Just love on Jesus. about the Holy Spirit for a moment. Third person of the Trinity. How he can be grieved by love. Who shares emotions just like the Father and the Son. Just pray some prayers of adoration just this moment. Praise you, Spirit that you are our counselor and our guide, that you are the presence and power 
living God in our lives. Praise you, Holy Spirit, that you speak to us, that you love us, that you call us. Just take a few moments between you and love on the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you, and we pray all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What would your day look like if it, you started there? It might look categorically different if you woke up there. Okay, confession. Um, our least favorite part of the prayer here, Yes? But some powerful phrases that Daniel uses, we have turned away, we have not listened. Certainly we can pray those phrases today under Christ. I was reading a humorous prayer of confession that kind of reflects a modern day notion of confession. Jedediah, we might want to use this prayer in the future to open up the service. Here, here's the prayer. Benevolent and easygoing parent. We have occasionally had some minor errors of judgment, but they're not really our fault. Due to the forces beyond our control, we have sometimes failed to act in accordance with our own best interests. Under the circumstances, we did the best we could. We're glad to say that we're doing okay, perhaps even slightly above average. Be your own sweet self with those who know they are not perfect. Grant us that we may continue to live a harmless and happy life and keep our self-respect. Would that be okay? And we ask all these things according to your unlimited tolerances, which we have a right to expect from you. Amen and amen. No, let's not use that prayer of confession. Confession is a good soul-cleansing prayer, but I want to suggest also that it's something more. It is a soul-cleansing thing, but it's meant to be a daily part of our walk. It's meant to be new covenant living. It's meant to be us walking in contrition. Our Ash Wednesday service was so beautiful. I so enjoyed that so much. So it's especially good to talk about this. But we reflected a little bit on this, the first beatitude by Christ. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting that Jesus begins what people say is a beautiful attitude in which to live your life. And he says, okay, let's start here. Do you want the kingdom? If you don't want the kingdom of heaven, then don't pay attention to what I say next. But if you do want the kingdom of heaven, then pay attention. Here's the very first one, first impression. Blessed are the... Poor. 
Holy Spirit. What does that mean? A humble awareness of our own poverty of the soul. Our own spiritual poverty. That we are quick to confess to the Lord and to one another. That we are aware that we are a fallen people of ruined soul and yet by his grace as we confess the kingdom of heaven enters our soul and he restores and transforms our soul. What a gospel. I was reading a, a story, a reflection by a author and evangelist, some of you might have heard of her, Rebecca Pippert. She was saying, I, I interacted with two different groups of people, and it was interesting, the contrast. She said one group of people was a graduate-level psychology class at Harvard University. She says, when I walked into that graduate-level psychology, con she continued to walk, there was extraordinarily open and candid about their problems on Harvard's campus. It wasn't uncommon to hear them say, I'm angry, I'm afraid, I'm jealous. Their admission of their problems was the opposite of denial. Second, their openness about their problems was matched only by their uncertainty about where to find resources to overcome their problems. Having confessed, for example, their inability to forgive someone who had hurt them, they had no idea how to resolve the problem. They had no idea that they could forgive and then begin being kind and generous instead of petty and vindictive. And then there was another group of people that she went to. It was adjacent to Harvard. It was a Bible study group that was happening in Cambridge. Now listen to the contrast. It was striking. She said, no one spoke openly about their problems. There was a lot of talk about God's answers and promises, but very little about the participants and their problems they faced. The closest thing to an admission of sin or personal problem was a, a reference to someone who is struggling and needs prayer. Here was Becky Pippert's conclusion, the first group, the psychology class, seemed to have all the problems and none of the answers. The second group, the Bible study, had all the answers but wouldn't admit to any of their problems. I want to suggest that neither were experiencing the kingdom of God. Yes. He wants to enter in. He invites us to be a people that are authentic and real and open and honest with our struggles with him and with one another. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Finally, supplication in this beautiful ending of the prayer. Verse 19, Lord, listen, Lord, forgive, Lord, hear and act. He's just throwing all that supplication. God! I also love verse 13. 
Look at verse 13. If you still have your Bibles open, it says, I I believe verse 13 reveals a little bit of God's heart and would help us in our, our, our supplication or prayer request, the things we ask of God. Yet we have not sought favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord wants you to seek his favor. Do you believe that? The Lord is for you. The Lord is not some old man in the sky waiting until you color outside the lines so you can slap your hands. He's rooting for you. He died for you to have a life of fullness and meaning and purpose and intimacy with him. He is wanting you to pray and ask for favor, for blessing, and for supplication. So I I believe many of us miss this idea that God is for us. For whatever reason, God has been giving me the honor and the privilege of walking with a number of married couples. And one of the things I say almost always is you realize that God is for your marriage. God is promising to give resources and help We need to believe that God is for your life. He wants you to seek his favor. He wants to answer. It's also connected to um, abiding here where Jesus um, turns and, and, and says this. This is John 15, 7, connected to the earlier one we read about abiding. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, his truth, You will ask what you desire, and I'll blow off your desires because I don't care. That's how some of us think God is. But what does Jesus say? And it should be done for you. That's his heart. Okay. Can we, I want to invite the the worship team forward, and we're going to just again enter into a time of confession and then supplication as we go to communion. Would you close your eyes? Worship team, this is for you as well. I don't know if you can listen to my words as you play. So, Lord, we come before you wanting to be poor in spirit, wanting to recognize that we echo Daniel's prayer, that there's been ways that we've turned away from you to our own hearts. Lord, we recognize there's been times, maybe right now, that we have not listened to you. Lord, we confess there's times we have not lived as your children, as covenant kids, but gone our own way. Whatever the Holy Spirit brings to mind, would you confess? 
where there's no condemnation. scripture teaches that if you are faithful to confess he forgives every time no exceptions approach the communion table is there one area in your life that you long for God's favor his blessing and you bring that area with you to communion just lay that aspect of your life that one that you long for his favor would you lay that before him